It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. When Irish eyes are smiling, you know we're getting close to St. Patrick's Day. And one of Ireland's finest crossover tenors is in Las Vegas to celebrate on stage. My guest, Paul Byron, he's performing in Myron's at the Smith Center Sunday, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, of course, at 7 p.m. For ticket information, go to thesmithcenter.com. And for everything about Paul, go to paulbyram.ie. And follow him on Facebook, Instagram, X, and YouTube. And Paul, welcome back to the show. Oh, it's delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. I was checking, and it was five years ago when you were on the show last. Yeah, it seems like it seems like. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite remarkable. I mean, five years, and what a five years it has been. I mean, between COVID and between uh, recording albums and touring, it's just kind of flown by. So I find it quite remarkable that it's been five years, but that's life, yeah. I suppose. Bye-bye. In the meantime, I lost my Irish accent, so we'll have to start for a while. Some might say that's not a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> Before I would talk about your upcoming performance at the Smith Center, your newest album, your latest album is called By Contrast, and it, there's a reason it's called that. You, you've produced many albums, but the reason that it's called By Contrast is because it's acoustic. Am I correct? Yeah, primarily. Like, so, um, you know, this is my eighth studio album. And um, prior to that, I suppose most of the albums I've done have had large orchestras. And um, the one preceding that was a, a song, an album called What I Did for Love. And that had a 66 piece orchestra on it. And so um, when I went and did this album, there was only five musicians. I called in five of my closest friends in the business to to perform on the on the album. So like there's pipes there's whistles he, he the same guy does the pipes and whistles um and they're sprinkled throughout the album and then it's it's mainly piano um bass and guitar on the album so um it's it's uh it's a very stripped back kind of acoustic album as you said yourself and and um full of kind of some of my favorite ballads and and songs um that i felt suited that kind of style of music or that that or that ensemble of musicians. So um, when I was trying to think of an album, I thought, God, this is totally contrasting to everything I've done before. And I thought, contrast. Well, hold on. So Paul Byron <laughs> by contrast. Yeah. So there we go. So yeah, it is. It's it's a funny one. And like as I said, you know, all previous albums that I like, for example, the Velvet album had fifty-five piece orchestra on it. Um, the this is the Moment album had seventy musicians on it. Um, and, and obviously these cost a fortune and, and the industry has changed so much in, in recent times. Um, and it's it's changed because it had to in that, um, you know, people aren't buying CDs as much. You know, they're not going to record stores as much as they used to. They're downloading everything or listening to it all for free. Um, and and so therefore you have to kind of, I suppose, change with the times and, and the likes of putting out those big albums with the big orchestras. You know, they still cost. The one thing that hasn't changed is the cost, um, and so you kind of had to, or I've had to, kind of reconsider that a bit somewhat. And um, and so when I put up by contrast, I didn't know how it would be received, primarily because all my following up until this point would have been used to the big lush strings and and all that kind of stuff. So 
Um, I'm delighted to say that since it's been released, it has it, it is is going toe to toe with all the album sales pre- previously. So so I'm delighted with it. You know, the reaction has been great. And all for information about that album and all his other albums, you go to paulbyram.ie, which I assume stands for Ireland. What's yeah, that? that's oh. the Irish handle. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. did have paulbyram.com, but I like the IE because it's uh, just a little bit more Irish. <laughs> yeah, it's right to your roots. I was thinking about how often you come to the United States. I know you've been performing in St. Patrick's Day in Las Vegas, but do you, do you get a chance to come and perform on a regular basis each year besides St. Patrick's Day? Yeah, for sure I do. Yeah. I mean, so like, obviously, you know, I always joke, if you're an Irish tenor and you're not working in America around St. Patrick's Day, there's something very wrong with you. You need to look at what you're doing wrong. (laughs) Um, So we're kind of, thankfully, we're very welcomed, um, especially around March, St. Patrick's Day um, in America. But I do tour um, quite a bit throughout the year. Like I, I, I did my first Christmas tour in a number of years just this Christmas gone. Um, and that was so much fun because normally I do the last six years, I've been doing a musical theater here in Ireland around uh, Christmas time or the lead up to Christmas. And this year I kind of just wanted to take a break from it. It was like a very full on schedule when you're doing those shows, you know, you're, you're set six days a week um, eight shows a week and it's, uh, it's, it's full on. And so I went out on tour instead and I thought, okay, let's, let's see if people want to hear, me singing Christmas stuff and and it sold really well. It was great. The reaction was great. And I think about the thing about Christmas shows are everybody's in great form. You know, everybody's kind of excited for Christmas and the vibe is always great before you even get onto the stage. So I really enjoyed that. I I get out in March. I'll come back out perhaps for a handful more gigs in July. And then again I'll probably do Christmas again. I used to do longer tours, maybe once or twice a year. Whereas now, maybe I'm getting older, wiser, I don't know. I'm kind of, um, I'm, I'm kind of dipping in, dipping out. Like, so this show, this tour, for example, it, I'm not, I'm even reluctant to call it a tour. It's like four concerts I'm coming over for in March, a bit of promo stuff. And, um, and it makes it just easier. It makes it less straining. I mean, I'm a one man show pretty much, you know, like I obviously have musicians I collaborate with along the way, but um it, it can be it can be pretty full on when you're when you're traveling on your own for long periods of time so um i've kind of just changed tact a bit you know and and um and i make no apology for it i kind of like it i like kind of dipping in and dipping out and doing a few gigs and leaving coming in fresh and leaving fresh <laughs> that's the that's the goal you know you probably feel the jet lag a little bit more these days too um, well, certainly when I come home, yeah. But I find that if you come the day you come home to Ireland, I think it's, jet lag is more intense coming this direction. Um, and um, I find that if you just go out and drink a whole load of Guinness, uh, you fall asleep <laughs> really easy and solid through the night. So that's my, that's my tact when I get home each time. You, know? <laughs> you mentioned about traveling alone, and I, I can understand what you're saying, but I'm starting a rumor that you're traveling with the 36-piece Leprechaun Band. So, you know, just <laughs> well, to... look, you know, if that sells tickets, I'm happy to play. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, um, yeah, I've had to change and evolve with time, you know, and I always love having, I, now, for example, the Vegas gig, I have a lovely musician joining me, a guy called Dermot Kiernan. He's also from Ireland. Um, he's going to play the piano. He's going to play guitar. And it's such a lovely, lovely setting there at Myron's. Um, so I do enjoy, I kind of, I'm quite selective as well as to who I who I work with. Again, as you get older, 
you can choose that little bit more who you want to work with. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's not like you're starting from scratch. You you're an established yeah. artist. You've been since since you were a kid. I mean, so it's yeah. not like you're, you're you're you definitely are entitled to modify your performance schedule and how you do things. So yeah. yeah. I think you just have to evolve. I mean, I think that's, I, and you'll find that if you talk to an awful lot of singers and musicians now, you know, you, we all have to evolve because because the industry is evolving all the time, you know, and, and everything is becoming social. I mean, look at us now. We're doing a social, you know, media interview, um, which five years ago we wouldn't have even contemplated. So right. um, it's changing at a rapid rate. And, and I think you kind of need to keep on top of the curve and keep changing and keep evolving. And, um, you know, there are gigs that I do just myself on tr- and the backing tracks from the albums. And I remember doing that for the first time, kind of, I was I was having palpitations going, oh my God, people are going to be so angry. People are going to not want to do that. And, you know, the truth of the matter became very real. It, it was because the tracks are so rich and, and there are obviously from the albums with live musicians, people didn't mind at all. They're there to see me. Do you know what I mean? And hear me sing. And and um, and the live performance was happening in front of them. and and so. You know, you just have to cut your cloth accordingly, you know, and 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 uh, and that's you know, in order to survive, you do what you need to do. I wonder if the word rather than evolve is adapt, because as the world evolves and technology evolves, the artist adapts to the evolution of technology and yeah. what's delivered. Yeah, I would think you're probably right. Adapt is definitely a better word. Um, and and look, you know, I'm I started. I did my first um, professional engagement. I was cast as the lead in a in a in an opera um, called A Mal and the Night Visitors, um, where the lead role was a little boy, and um, it was an opera based in it was being staged in Dublin. I was 12 years of age at the time, um, and I released my first album at 14. The Golden so, Voice I, of Paul Byram. That's right. And like, that's 30 years ago this year. Amazing. So, yeah. So like, I get great, I get a great sense of pride in the fact that I'm still going, you know, and, and, um, and adapting as I, as I go. Well, you look like you're in good shape. Those who are just listening can't see you, but the ones that are watching us can see that you look like you're physically fit. Well, I, I you know, I do. I enjoy, I, I, I enjoy fitness. It's, it's a big part of my life. Um, I, I think you have to be. Um, I think, you know, you're traipsing around the country. America is a big, big country. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you're taking flights, you're driving, you're renting cars, you're maybe taking trains, all trains, planes and automobiles. Um, and you're, you need to be fit. And, and more than anything else, fitness, I find, is great for the head keeping my sanity and taking for that hour or so that I go to the gym every day. I don't think about the singing or the music or what ticket sales are like or what album sales are like or, you know, what I need to do. I, 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 and so it is a huge part of my life. And, and also, again, um, the modern world that we're living in, um, people, it's in some respects, it's sad to say, I think uh, people are, they expect you to look well. When you come on stage, you know there was a time where you could get away with maybe a big pop belly and you know just run <laughs> on stage and sing your song. Whereas I think people now want to see you making an effort and looking kind of relatively sharp. Wait a minute. So, so let me let me figure the math on this. So five pints of Guinness and versus an hour in the gym. Is that right? Is that the way? It yeah, works? but it's like you know, here's the thing. Uh, there has to be wiggle room. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if if you're telling me that I can't drink Guinness, um, then we, we <laughs> rearrange everything. You know, <laughs> everything's good in moderation. 
Yes, exactly. Or maybe you could, while you're working out, instead of drinking water while you're working out, you're drinking Guinness. So you can work with that one too. You know what they say, Guinness is good for you. So uh, (laughs) it's full of of iron and wheat. And so, yeah, it's good. You mentioned, Paul, that the your appearances and performances in the United States. And one of the things you do, I don't know how often you do it, but I know you do it. You perform the national anthem, for example, for the Boston Celtics, among other uh, teams. That must be fun, too, because it's a totally different vibe than when you're performing on stage, such as in Las Vegas. Yeah, look, you know, uh, so I remember years ago, God, it's nearly... It's 10 years, maybe longer, that I've been singing for the Boston Celtics. Um, and whenever I'm in town, I drop them an email and they they always host me, which is lovely. Um, and it's a most nerve-wracking experience as well, because, you you know, firstly, you're singing another country's anthem. So, you know, I, I take that very seriously as an honor. Um, I I feel at times without getting political or without getting bogged down. And I feel at times some people don't respect um performance of an, of anthems as much as they should you know and and um so i sing it as it's written and i sing it with gusto and i sing it um uh with with as much passion as i can muster and 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 especially in boston i mean i'm sure you've been to boston many times they're a big sporting town you know and and you walk out into td garden and the, the, they announce you paul byron from ireland you are, they all cheer because Boston is an extension of Ireland. Um, yeah, Boston, Ireland. yeah, so you're already in the good books. <laughs> and then the lights drop and a spotlight comes on you and you're just, your heart goes a million miles an hour. Um, and, and you sing it and the reaction is always phenomenal. Um, I love singing it. It's a great anthem. It's a great anthem. Um, and uh, I do it a cappella and... and uh, it's it's always been received quite well, and I I think primarily because I just sing it as it's written. I don't try anything fancy or weird or new or different, and I certainly don't mess up the words. That's the most important thing. Yeah, which means <laughs> yeah. never again as before, but certainly after. Yeah. Oh, there's a few after for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to switch gears and ask you a question that I'm intrigued by because you, it, our audience may not recognize the name, but Dr. Veronica Dunn, you studied under her who is she and why did she have an influence on you well so veronica was um she was a professor of music uh, um in in dublin uh, a w- w- well-renowned uh, music teacher but, but prior to that she was a well-renowned um european uh, star as an opera singer um and and so she she would have worked with an awful lot of some of the top tenors and sopranos that have ever come out of Ireland. Uh, for some of your listeners, they might know of the three Irish tenors, so like Finbar Wright, Ronan Tynan, and um, Anthony Kearns. Um, she trained all of those guys. Um, and and so, you know, she was extremely well-renowned. And and um, I was a young lad starting out as a tenor. So I, well, I had done classical training as a young boy um, from the age of seven up until the voice changed at about 15, 16 years of age. <clears throat> and then I took a year off and I started up in the Royal Irish Academy of Music. And um, uh, I was working with a, a trainer at the time. And, I, and one of the things that's quite important, especially when you're working intensely on your voice um, and, and music, it's very important that you have a nice relationship with your with your singing teacher um, and, and that you connect on, on more than one level. So you did um, it, in other words. Sorry? So you no. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. No, no. Veronica would, have been, 
Veronica would have been an elderly lady by the time she'd got her hands on me. So, um, yeah, I, I, I remember she she just stopped me in the in the corridor. She'd heard me at a couple of recitals and stuff, and um, and she was just very. She was she was she didn't take herself too seriously, and she she didn't um, what's the word? She didn't mix her words so or mince her words, and so those are two things that I would consider myself to be, and um, and we clicked very quickly, and 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 she took me under her wing, and you know taught me a whole lot, um, a really a whole lot of stuff. She wanted me really to 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 do opera, you know. If truth be told, she wanted me to kind of. Uh, focus on that and perhaps move to Germany um, to study it over there. Um, but, I, you know, although I love singing arias and I love singing classical music, um, you know, my personality is is very much musical theatre and, and crossover. And, and I love bringing that classical style of singing to mainstream music, but also getting to do the musical theatre. I also love the Irish music um, and being the Irish tenor, so to speak. So, um I, I was always kind of leaning more toward commercial uh, recordings and performances than than opera, and opera would have been a very, very challenging uh, path to take, and, and an extremely difficult path to take. I mean, people I don't think realise the levels that you need to go to in order to become, you know, a leading tenor in in, in the world of opera. I mean, it's there's very few Guinnesses had anyway. I know that. <laughs> it's probably easier being a lawyer than a. Than yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and that's the thing. Like. You know, you look at doctors and lawyers and they study for seven years, maybe six, seven years to become a practicing doctor or lawyer. Uh, an opera singer is doing it for much longer than that before they get their first lead role. So um, often, uh, yeah, often people don't realize that. Or or if you, I know, for example, we always joke amongst ourselves as singers, you know, when you quote your fee and people go, oh, for God's sake, that's very expensive. You know, you're only singing a few songs. Well, I had to spend maybe 10 years of my life learning how to sing that song correctly, you know. So, right. um, yeah, sometimes people don't realize the levels that you have to go to in order to do the classical kind of singing. You know, I asked you a question five years ago, I believe, and I, I always like to bring it back because we always struggle with this in America. Is it Celtic or Celtic? You know, it's a million-dollar question, and I don't really have an answer for you. So um, in some terms, it's... Celtic, and in other terms, it's Celtic. So um, I have found that it, when it's related to a sports team, um, it's Celtic. Yes, so like Boston Boston Celtics, Celtics right. or the Celtic Glasgow Celtic in 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 soccer, their soccer team in in Glasgow, they're the Celtics. Um, whereas you're talking about the Celts uh, and and the Celtic people, um, never you know the Celts or never the Celtic people. It's the Celts. So I think. When it comes to sports terms, the only time I've ever heard it referred to as Celtic is when it's associated to a sports team. The rest of the time, it's Celtic. And that's my understanding. Okay, so it's Celtic Thunder. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and I, I, I have no reason why. I have no, I have no answer for you as to why that. <laughs> well, you were one of the founding members of uh, Celtic Thunder, and you, you, you've obviously succeeded very well in the, in the solo field. I'll, I'll call it solo field. Clearly you work with musicians and again, yeah. the 36 piece uh, Leprechaun band, but you, you're, you're still a, in essence, a solo artist, I guess I would say. And when you plan performances, and I want to talk to you about your performance here at Myron's and Dismissing in a moment, but when you plan your performances, is it planned when you're traveling, not when you're recording or in a major concert at home, but when you're traveling, it's going to be you and a couple of musicians. 
Do you plan it out so it's a different approach than what you would if you did have a large orchestra or a band? Well, yeah. I mean, like, so, I mean, if you're doing, like, I have, I have a series of concerts here now in May in Ireland uh, with, that will have a large piece band. And, you know, I would pick the pieces, the songs for that show based on the arrangements I have and, and the music that you have. Because every every song you sing, you have to make sure you've got the parts for every musician playing. So uh, that limits you a little bit with regards to what you can perform on any given night. Um, whereas when you're performing with with uh, just one or two musicians, your your repertoire is a lot larger. Um, so yeah, you do have to alter it, I suppose, as you go. Um, and also, I think the pleasure of the pleasure of touring on my own is that I can uh, do a set list. You know, for example, I'm starting this upcoming series of dates in Pittsburgh on the ninth, and um, you know, by the time I get to Myron's on the 17th, the set list could be completely different, you know. Um, I might just be not feeling a certain song or I think it's been overdone or the reaction isn't as good as I thought it might be. Um, or people will say, oh, I wish you'd sing You Raise Me Up or I wish you'd sing Danny Boy, whatever. And so, um, you know, you, you sometimes you just evolve with it as you go on the tour. And it also keeps it interesting for me, you know. Sure. Like, um, there might be nights where I'm feeling this crowd is great crack and we'll throw in a couple more upbeat, fun kind of songs, you know. Um, and then there's other nights where they're a lot more conservative. If you're doing church concerts, for example, you'll often find that the audience, although they may not be conservative, they may just feel that they're a little bit, or they should be a little bit more refined or whatever. Or traditional, so for that matter. Yeah, yeah. And, and you kind of find that you'll, you, you know, you, I'll cut back certain songs that I would have, that I would have normally done in a concert setting. So yeah, I do evolve and you kind of have to. And as I said, when I was with Celtic Thunder, we would have done in the initial tours, we were doing like kind of 80 odd concerts, a, a tour. And it was the set list. It was, it was, it was set in stone. There was no <laughs> talking between songs. There was no right. nothing. It was a show. And, and, um, and at times, it kind of, in, in many respects, it was great because, you know, you didn't have to worry about anything. You knew your words inside out. You came on, you went off. You were kind of just robotic, you know, um, and there was no talking, as I said. But me being me, I, I love telling the stories in between the songs. And I love kind of having an interaction with the the the, the audience. And um, and I, I like kind of showing my personality and and. Um, for better or worse, <laughs> and I think well, you know, no, it's think, better. But I, I think what you're saying is there's more two-way communication the way you're doing it now than when it was more formalized under yes. Celtic Thunder. Yeah. And that's yeah. Uh, yeah, no question about it. Like I have great banter with my audiences now, you know, and and I've built up like what I would call friendships with some of the people that come to a lot of the concerts, and I've got to know a lot of them, and um, and the shtick that I have with them on the stage is great. And, <laughs> Um, and I do, I love that. I, I, you know, the Irish people, by and large, we don't take ourselves too seriously. We, we, you know, we love um, taking the mick, we call it, you know, um, yes. making fun of ourselves or making sure. fun of others. And, and we always take fun of ourselves before we take fun of, make fun of other people. And, and, and that banter on stage is always there. And um, the day that I'm told to rein that in is the day I'll walk away because, because I love it. I, I really do. I enjoy, I enjoy a live audience. Do you ever check to see, on a rough scale, because you're popular, obviously, beyond Ireland. Do you ever check with an audience to see what percentage, or just do an informal count in your head, what you think might be the percentage of Irish people versus everybody else in the audience? Is there usually like a, is there a 25% Irish and everybody, 75% everybody else, or 50-50, or does it? Yeah, well, when you, say, when you say Irish, do you mean like Irish Americans? 
either Irish Americans or, or Irish Irish. Yeah. So either oh, one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, well, primarily like when I do a concert, I always throw out a question who here has a bit of Irish, who here doesn't have a bit of Irish in them? That's the yeah. easier question. Yes. And you right. get maybe three or four will put up their hands, you know, they'll claim that they haven't any Irish in them. And I'll say, well, you just haven't looked deep enough because everybody, <laughs> everybody's got a bit in them, you know. Um, whereas the actual, what I would call off the boat Irish, the people that are, you know, literally Irish, Irish. Um, they're very rare at the concerts in in, uh, in the US. Um, but yeah, most most people coming to them are, most people coming to the shows are of Irish uh, descent. Um, and, and, and as I said, by the time by the time people are leaving, they all feel a little bit Irish, and and that's the idea. I like my shows are um, predominantly Irish material, but I do I sprinkle I sprinkle a whole lot of other stuff in there as well. As I say on the stage, you know, if this song, if you don't like this song, it's like a bus. Just stand and wait. There'll be another one along in three and a half minutes, and it'll be totally different. Unless um, there's a bus strike, then you got a problem. Well, that's a whole other kettle yeah. of fish. Um, yeah. But yeah, I so I kind of I try and keep it interesting and varied, and I like to I like to say that it's a show for all ages. Um, it, it should appeal to everybody and anybody. Um, and 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 it's 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 a personable show. Like I as I said, all the songs I sing, there's a reason I sing them. They're not just songs that I like, and you know, um, it, there's often a good story behind the songs I sing. So. Um, I try and bring that to the table. We love telling stories, the Irish, and and I think we're I think we as a people are loved because we tell stories, mm-hmm. you know, and we talk and whatever else. Um, and and um, so I like to bring a bit of both of that to 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 the shows. You know, that's why I call the shows songs and stories. What well, when you come to Las Vegas to Myron's at the Smith Center again on March seventeenth, St. Patrick's Day, are you setting it up so you have perhaps three to four songs that you definitely are going to do versus all the wide inventory of songs you have. In other words, in your mind, you know, you're definitely going to do these four songs, whatever those four songs are. Yeah. Uh, there's, yeah. You'd always have to have the, the God almighty. If I came to America and didn't sing Danny boy at some point in the show, um, I possibly wouldn't get off the country or the, you know, the, <laughs> I wouldn't get backward. So there's certain songs you kind of have to have in there, of course. Most, most of my set list is is set in stone by the time I'm, you know, by the by the time I'm getting on the plane, um, and I'll always have one or two or three songs that I might change in and change out, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the Vegas thing is an interesting one. I I remember getting booked for it first time, and I thought to myself, mother of gosh. Of all the shows that are going on in Vegas and all the big superstars coming in and out of the place, nobody's going to turn up to see me. And um, I remember I arrived for the first concert and I was collected from the airport by the theatre and I I kind of sheepishly said, look, how many have we sold? Have we sold any tickets for tonight? I'm like, sorry? I said, have we sold any? And it was sold out. I couldn't believe it. And, uh, and every time I've come, there's been a huge audience there, you know, and I... I I kind of pinch myself sometimes. I'm like, I'm doing Vegas. This little Paddy from Ireland is coming over. Uh, of all the people, and in amongst them all, you know, there's this little fella called Paul Byron doing a, a small little concert in Las Vegas. And I get a great kick out of it. I really do. It's quite funny. And then afterwards, I go walk about, you know, after the... So my, my fiancé is coming over for the gig. Um, nice. and, and And so we'll go for a few drinks after because it'll be the last of the shows. And, you know, we, 
to walk around. I often find I'm walking with my mouth open at some of the things I see. It's the wildest place in the world. And it's the greatest place in the world. I just love it. It's great. It's just great. That's great. And before I let you go, one quick question. uh, And that is your favorite song, if I had to nail you down to your favorite song. Oi, uh, it depends on the genre. I think that's the first thing to say, you know, um, like, for example, I'm singing at somebody's funeral tomorrow morning in Dublin um, and I'm singing Schubert's Ave Maria. I love that song. Right. Um, that's it suits that setting. But, I, you know, I do get it for the for the fun song. I sing a song called Those Were the Days, my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, great fun gets the crowd going. But nothing really beats Danny Boy. I get great pride in singing Danny Boy. Um some people love it. Some people loathe it. I love it. I think it's a prayer from Ireland. Um, it's the final words a father says to a son before he leaves Ireland, knowing that he'll never see him again. There's something very powerful about that. And I think it strikes a chord with a lot of Americans because they know of their grandparents or their great grandparents that came over and, and were to never return. And um, there's there's when I even think about it, it puts hairs on my, my neck. You know, the thoughts of never returning to Ireland or never returning to your home wherever that might be, is extremely powerful and, and often heartbreaking. You know, uh, I mean, <clears throat> if we if we were to consider you were from, let's say, let's say you were from Nevada and you were told, look, there's nothing here for you. You have to leave and go somewhere to Europe for the rest of your life. And you're never going to see your family and friends again. That You have to go to survive. I mean, that comprehension behind that is is sometimes hard to do so um and danny boy encapsulates that and and i think a lot of irish came to america and worked hard and um contributed and made made a name for themselves and and um and made then they were a part of what makes america great and so um there's a great sense of pride in that and i get great pride singing well that's a great way to leave it my guest has been paul byram he's performing in myron's at the Smith Center, Sunday, March 17th at 7 p.m. For ticket information, go to thesmithcenter.com. And for everything about Paul Byram, go to paulbyram.ie. That's I-E. And follow him on Facebook, Instagram, X, and YouTube. And Paul, thanks for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. Thank you so much. Thank you. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ivor David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. When you